the war. Some of you were here last week, and if so, uh, we're going to recap just a little bit to kind of build a foundation for today. But last week we learned that a war is a struggle or a conflict between two opposing forces. It's a struggle or conflict between two opposing forces. Forces, And we all might think a lot of different things when we hear the word war. For some, it's like, that's my house. That's my marriage. That's my relationship with my kids. It could be coworkers, a situation uh, at work. We think a lot of different things. And uh, in fact, last week I used the example of uh, being in a vehicle. And uh, for you, everyone else on the road is an opposing force. And so I heard at least two stories this week of people getting the bird after they left church last Sunday. Yeah. And so I'm, I'm hoping it got better for them after they left the parking lot. But that's rough. <laughs> that's rough. Yeah. An active, an active struggle or conflict against two opposing forces. And so there's the conflict that we have with other people. There's the war that we have that's right in front of us. These are the things that we can see, that we struggle with, we are in conflict with on a regular basis. But then there are also the wars and the battles that we can't see. There are the wars and the battles that we can't see. And so uh, we talked about Ephesians chapter 6. And Ephesians 6, it says, there we go. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world. It's the unseen world against mighty powers in this dark world and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. And so there are these battles that we are in on a daily basis. It's easy to come in here on a Sunday morning and sing some songs and hear a good sermon or maybe just an average sermon. I don't know. Uh, but you, we come in here and then we go Monday morning and that's where the real life happens. That's where the real struggles come to life. But for every battle that we encounter, every battle that we can see, there's a battle behind that that we can't see. When we think about war, the reason for war is actually for the end goal of freedom. Freedom is the reason that we have to go to war because it's one side opposing the other and one trying to gain freedom or independence from the other. It's really about freedom. And so we said that truth equals freedom because Jesus said, if you will follow my ways, you will follow my teaching, you will follow my path of truth in the way that I have set out for you to live. If you will follow the reality of truth that I have set out for you, then you will know you will know this truth and it will set you free. It will set you free in the middle of this conflict. It will set you free in the middle of this struggle and this opposition. The reason that truth is ultimately how we win the war is because our enemy spoken about in this unseen world is the devil. And here is what it says in John chapter 8 about the devil. It says that he was a murderer from the beginning. He has also hated, or he has always hated the what? The truth. Because there is no truth in him. Nothing can come out of something if it's not already in something. I cannot pour coffee out of a water bottle because there's water in there, not coffee. There is no truth that can come out of him because there is no truth 
in him. There is no truth that exists in him. The only thing that can flow from him is lies. So when he lies, it's consistent with his character, for he is a liar and he is the father of lies. That means the only thing that he can produce, fathers, they produce. The only thing that he can produce are lies manipulations. He twists the way that God intended something to be and he deceives us to the point where he makes it something different by the time he's done with it. He changes what God had originally set and intended and makes it something different. And so his weapon of choice becomes the weapon of deception. He wants to deceive us. He wants to get right in the middle of our lives and our situations and our struggles and our conflicts. And and he wants to deceive us to the point where we see truth on one side, the the truth and the plan that God has set out, the reality that God created us in a, a perfect world, in a perfect environment, with perfect relationship with him and with each other. This was Adam and Eve in the beginning. And he deceives it to the point where we find ourselves living in a reality that is completely in a different direction than what God had intended. We find ourselves existing in a reality that was never meant for us. And so the war is about restoring truth and order and the reality that God has intended for us all along. It's about recognizing that the enemy comes in with his weapon of deception to twist and manipulate and cause us to head in a direction away from God. Ephesians 4, 14 talks about deception like this. Then we will no longer be infants. And it's talking about uh, people who are apostles and pastors and teachers and leaders. He gives these as a gift so that we may not fall into what he's talking about here. They will no longer be infants and tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching, by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Deceit. It is his weapon of choice. It is the enemy's weapon of choice. We don't wrestle with what we can see. We wrestle with what we can't see. We're in the war we see because of the war that we don't see. It's behind the scenes. It's what's behind that attitude. It's what's behind that flipping of the bird. It's behind that temper tantrum. It's behind that conflict in our relationship. What's really under the surface, what's really going on is that the enemy has plans and intentions to blind us from the truth of God. He has plans and intentions to steal from us, to trap us, and to ultimately completely take us out and destroy us. We have a very real enemy. The good news is we have a very real Jesus. We have a very real God. But make no mistake about it, we are in a war and we're not as much in a war with what we can see as we are with what we can't see. This war is fought in our minds. The war we're fighting is in our minds. So last week we talked about the war that we're in. The war we're in is the battle for truth. It's the war for truth. And this morning we're talking about the war within. 
and not because it rhymes. The battle we're in, the battle within, okay. The battle within. We all like to hear a good story. Uh, Some of us like to tell good stories. I see my brother-in-law, Chris, over here. He has the best stories ever. You'll laugh your head off the entire time he's talking. So great. But we love to hear stories. We love to tell stories and, and remember the time when. And can you believe how that happened? And I can't believe this, right? So we think about stories. And one of the things I really like in life, I love hearing war stories. And I love hearing worries, I love hearing stories about warriors, and I love seeing stories. I love going to movies that are about war. And so I wanted to start off by reading you a story, and I want you to imagine for a minute that we're all like on this fun family camping trip together, okay? And we're sitting around the fire, and what do you do when you're sitting around the campfire at night? Where your phone does not work, right? You can't check your Instagram and all of this stuff, and so... It's like, hey, let's sit around, and inevitably you end up telling stories. So I want to read you a story this morning, and this is a war story. First Lieutenant Alonzo Cushing was a 21- or 22-year-old officer in the Union Army during the Civil War. The young West Point graduate was in charge of six cannons and more than 100 during the Battle of Gettysburg. A small force of rebels was closing in on Cushing and his men. The young officer had already been shot twice by opposing forces and was critically wounded. He had every right to retreat to safety, but recognized the magnitude of this moment. Instead of retreating, he continued to push forward, leading his team's counterattack. His courage inspired his men, and they fought back valiantly before Cushing was able to shoot, or before Cushing was shot again. This final shot proved to be fatal. His focus and determination against all odds turned the tide of the battle, which turned the tide of the war, which ultimately held a nation together. I think this is a great story. It's a great story about a team coming together, about troops coming together, about allied forces rallying together to defeat their enemy. But I want to suggest that this battle was not won because he called for the six cannons that were under his charge to be called to the front lines. This battle was not won because all of his men followed his lead. It started... In his mind, it started with one man's unwavering determination in his own mind. And I would suggest to you that he most likely did not come to this decision in the moment. See, he probably entered the service and went through training and worked his way up through the ranks, knowing full well that the day may come when it was required of him to lay down his own life. For the sake of the mission. In other words, he predecided, he had determined in his own mind that he was going to come under submission to the mission. The mission was not self preservation, the mission was winning, the mission was moving forward, the mission was at all costs, I will give. 
He decided in his own mind. It was the war in his mind where one direction is to choose his own self-preservation and what was best for him in the moment and what might have worked out better for him as an individual. But what was truth in this moment for him was that, no, I've, I've already decided I'm on the path toward winning. I'm on the path toward conquering. I am determined. I am focused. I will lead. I will push forward against all odds and at all costs. I will do this. The wars that we face that we can see are a result of the war that we can't see. And that war resides in our very own minds. Our own determination, our own fortitude, our own way of thinking. And this is talked about in Romans says, I have discovered this principle of life, that when, I, that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all of my heart, but there is another power within. It's the war within me that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. It's this war within that he's talking about here. The war within my own mind. I, I, I kind of know the way of truth. I kind of, I know what's right, but, but I want to go this way. This is, this is the story that I'm telling myself. If you've been in church any amount of time, maybe you've grown up in church, you have a church background, chances are you've heard the verse that I'm about to read. But it's Romans chapter 12, verse 2, and it says, don't, don't conform any longer to the pattern of this world and the way that this world does things, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. I mean, there could have been so many other things said here, but by, by changing the way that you schedule your week so that you can make sure you're in church every Sunday morning at 9 or 1045. By making sure that you, you wake up and and you do all the right things and you show up and you be a good person and you provide for your family and you just do the best you can. No, he's saying the, the way, the, the trick, the life hack here is changing the way that we think. This is the way that most people think, but I want you to change that. If you want to live and experience a different kind of life than what most people do, we know most people because Jesus called us to follow what he called a narrow path. He said, I want you to follow the narrow way. There aren't many people who choose that. There aren't many who go down that road. You'll find few people there. And when you find few people thinking that way, that's how you know you're on the right one. Because the broad road is the one that's easy. It's the path that everyone takes. When this says don't conform, think about conformity. That's very passive. Now, just kind of just conform into where, wherever you are, whatever kind of situation you're in. When we pour water into a glass, it conforms to whatever shape that glass is. We're, we're conforming. It's very passive. But he's saying, I, I don't want you to conform. I want you to resist the temptation. Resist the thinking that says, I have to fall into this pattern that I think I'm bound to because of the context of my culture or my situation or my circumstance. 
I don't want you to conform to that because I know that if you will change the way you think, that's where you find real life. That's where you find real change. That's where you find the difference-making power to walk in the reality that I have designed and I have destined for you. Don't just conform to the way of this world, but be transformed. Do it differently. Think differently. 2 Corinthians says this, We are human, but we don't wage war as humans do. We use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning. To knock down the strongholds of conforming to the way that everyone else thinks. To conforming of the ways that this world would want to tell me to live and how to live and how to think and how to process and how to make decisions. To knock down the strongholds of human reasoning and to destroy false arguments. See false? There's always falsehood in there because it's the weapon of the enemy. It's his weapon of deception. The human way of reasoning, the world's way of doing things, it's full of falsehood and unreality. We destroy every proud obstacle. Have you ever encountered a moment when somebody was really, really, really proud about being so wrong? <laughs> it's like we take delight in knowing that we're so wrong and we're standing for something that is so, so wrong. It's the way of our culture. We just, I am not done with that. <laughs> we destroy every proud obstacle that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. The knowledge of God. That's the truth of God. We capture their rebellious thoughts and teach them to obey Christ. Now I'm done. We set ourselves up. We set ourselves up in direct opposition against anything that would raise itself up against the knowledge of God, which is, what's the knowledge of God? Truth. He is completely true. He is completely pure. He is completely without fault. He is completely without falsehood. His knowledge has complete understanding. He is the beginning and he is the end. He is everywhere at one time. The earth is his footstool. He is full of truth. And we resist and we set ourselves up against and we claim battle and war against anything that would set itself up against God's knowledge, the truth of God. And then to go on, because after all, we are at war. Not only that, but we capture, we capture the thoughts that would lead us down the road of untruth. Because it starts... In our mind. Isn't it true that what we think often becomes what we believe, and what we believe often becomes what we do? A thought comes into our mind, I think this to be true, and I believe it, and I act on that. Last week we read the story of Adam and Eve in the garden. 
And this is exactly what happened as she was speaking to the serpent. Through a series of question and back and forth, Eve came to the point where it says, she was convinced. She was convinced that going down the road of untruth was actually true. Was actually the right thing to do. The exact opposite thing that was true was what she did. She was so deceived by this conversation that she was convinced. Our enemy stands at the door with his weapon of deception in the middle of our insecurity, our insufficiency, and our isolation. Our insecurity, our insufficiency, our isolation. Our insecurity being our vulnerable points. You know, it's the buttons that our spouse pushes just right where it hurts. It's that offhanded comment that somebody made and it just took us the wrong way. And all of a sudden, a mountain of memories flood our mind about every time someone else has said something that even resembled that crippling us in that moment. It's the insufficiency of not being enough or not having enough. I don't have what it takes. I don't know how to get through this. I'm empty-handed. I can't work this out. I can't rationalize this. I don't get this. I don't understand this. I don't have what it takes to do what God wants me to do. I don't have what it takes to follow the path and follow the way of God. And it ultimately leads us to this isolation moment where we feel like we're the only ones. We're the only ones going through this and I can't reach out to anybody else because I'm too insecure and too insufficient to let them see that I'm insecure and insufficient. I can't let anyone else into my life. I can't get along with some some brothers or get some sisters together or just get one and vent and talk so we can encourage one another so I can be reminded of truth in my life. Have you ever noticed that when we are following the path of untruth, when we're walking in a way that we know is not in alignment with the full abundant life that God wants to give us, we automatically isolate ourselves from people that we know will speak truth to us. I mean, that could just be me, but I'm pretty sure it's you too. I, I, I don't want to bring, bring that up because they might tell me what I don't want to hear. His weapon of deception has wide open free reign in the middle of our insecurities, our insufficiencies, and isolation. It's like walking into a mall, and the mall is closed, and someone says, hey, you can have free reign to go in here, and you think, why would I do that? I don't want to go in there. It's all locked up. It's nothing. They said, no, 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 I think you're going to like it. And you go into the mall, and you walk in, and all of a sudden there's a big sign in front of your favorite store that says, take whatever you want for free, and the door is wide open. That's the free reign that deception has in the middle of our insecurities, our insufficiencies, and our isolation. That's where the enemy wants to keep us because it's where he can do his absolute best work. See, behind behind every war that we see, there's a war that we don't see. 
behind every war that we see, there's a story being told that we can't see. Somewhere in Xenia last night, there was a young teenage girl who gave up her innocence for the very first time. She gave in to the pressure of a guy in some bedroom or some back seat or some couch. And that's the story that we can see. Oh, teenage infidelity is at an all-time high. Unwed pregnancy. Oh, man, it's just awful. And now we have to deal with issues of abortion and all this as a result. See, these are all the wars that we can't see. But, but what we don't see is that that little teenage girl, she was battling a war in her own mind because she's been tossed around from foster home to foster home. And every time she gets to one, she thinks, oh, this will be the one. These will be the people that really love me. These will be the people that really show me value. This will be the time when everything changes and I'll find, I'll find worth and I'll find significance only to be told it's time to move to another. Only to be told it's, hey, it's time. Um, there's some people that want to meet you. They're considering adoption and, and, and you know it, it may not work out, but it's time for them to meet you. And then you're later told that, um, they decided to adopt someone a little, a little younger. Or they, they decided not to adopt at all for whatever reason. And, and so this, this little girl who we would want to ridicule and say, don't you know this is wrong to have sex before you get married? Don't you know what you're doing right now? Don't you know what you're giving up right now? But it's really not about the battle that we see. It's all along been about the battle that we don't see. We see the high-powered executive that goes to work every day and they make lots of money. They're very successful. They have the attention of all of their co-workers and they have the attention of others. And there's articles written about them and how great they are and how well they do. Only to find that this person has been overcompensating for their entire life. And the only place that they can find any significance and any value and any self-worth is in trying to become something that everyone else thinks is what it should be. Because that high-powered executive remembers the time when he was made fun of and when he was bullied and when he was told he wasn't good enough, when he was told he would never become anything. And so he said, I'm never going to let that happen again. I'm going to go make me some money. So in his effort to pursue and chase this high-powered career, he lets his family slip. And he stops investing into his relationship with his wife. And he neglects his time at home and his quality moments with his kids at the expense of making sure that he can overcome and overcompensate for his insecurities and his insufficiencies. I got to make the money. I got to accomplish the thing. I, I got to. And so all of a sudden, it all falls apart. It all burns to the ground. And what you have left there is someone who was once a high-powered executive in his 40s is sta standing there in the same condition he was when he was 8 years old. Deception. What story are we telling ourselves? 
Where, where do we go and, and camp out in our mind and tell ourselves the stories that we're not good enough? When I was about eight years old, I was hanging out with my older cousins and some of their friends who were all in high school. And somebody said, what time is it? And so I ran quickly to the other room and I looked at the clock and I came back and I said, hey, it's 7.00 o'clock, thinking that I was going to be the hero because they wanted to know what time it was and I could have something as an eight-year-old to offer these really cool high schoolers. And I said, it's 7.00 o'clock and they all laughed. Do you know that to this day, I was in a Bible study just several weeks ago or several months ago with a group of high school guys that are a part of the Xenia High School football team. One of the coaches was leading that Bible study. And during the middle of that Bible study, he points to me after we read the scripture and he said, Nate, what do you think that means? And in that moment, I immediately was flooded with all of these insecure thoughts. Don't answer that question. If it's wrong, he'll laugh at you. Maybe, maybe not out loud, but he'll be laughing in his mind. No, that's not the answer I was looking for, Nate. That's not what I was hoping you would say in this moment. And so I find these insecure thoughts that flood my own mind now that I can trace back to something that happened when I was eight years old. I wrote, I wrote some things down not too long ago. I was reading a book and it was challenged to write, write down some things that I feel or that I think often about myself. Now, some of you, this is so uncomfortable. You're like, wow, I thought I was coming to hear a sermon, not be a part of a counseling session. I'll go get a couch. But I want to share to you a couple, couple of ways that I find myself thinking. Stories that I tell myself. One is I, I often find my worth and value and security in accomplishments and status. I think that that's where it'll be found. I often feel that God blesses or does things for other people even though I'm more deserving. That's the real stuff right there. I care way too much about what other people think. Some of you know the story of my wife Mindy and I, but I chased her since seventh grade. Seventh grade, the day I saw her, I still remember what she was wearing and I liked her immediately. But I never told her I liked her until 12th grade. And then she went off to college nine hours away from me and then stayed there for two more years and worked. And it was a long time of liking her and feeling like she didn't like me back. So, to this day, sometimes I often find myself in patterns and routines where I'm telling myself that I have to try hard to be good enough for Mindy and to earn her love. It's real. Those are some of the stories that I tell myself. What are yours? Where are the areas of insecurity and vulnerability that the enemy wants to work his way in 
and create pieces and moments of deception that cripple us. He wants to take us out. And he's often able just to walk right through the door of our insecurity. I'll I'll never do that again. I'll I'll never get close to someone again because I don't want to be hurt that way ever again. I'm, I'm not smart enough. We adopt that label that someone put on us. I'll never be good enough for that. To this day, I hate it when the conversation of college comes up because I don't have a degree. And I find myself in circles with pastors and leaders from all over the country who have master's degrees and doctorates and PhDs and Two weeks ago, whatever pastor, doctor, date, whatever it is, Brandon Hancock, he's got too many letters before his name to even, right? So Pastor Mark leaves for 12 weeks and says, I want you to do three-week series. Pastor, I can't do that. I'm I'm not good enough for that. Situations that come my way sometimes as being a pastor, people whose marriages are literally falling apart, And Mindy and I are their last resort to offer some sort of hope in a moment, in an hour, in our living room. Oh my gosh, how do I do? I am so insufficiently equipped for this. I can't do this. We all tell ourselves a story. Our marriage will never be like their marriage. I'll I'll never be able to to serve God and to follow God and to be that kind of godly man of integrity like he is. We compare ourselves to others. And then not only do we open the door for the enemy to come right in, but then we get our phone out and we go ahead and send him an invitation to go ahead and tell us how good we're not. So we can scroll, scroll, scroll and see how good everybody else's vacation is. How great their life is. How great their job is. How good they look. They got new clothes. They got new shoes. Oh, look at his new car. The enemy wants to deceive us. He wants to destroy us. He is coming after us. And he comes through the wide open door of our own of our own insecurities, insufficiencies, and isolation. Philippians 4.13 says for us to think on whatever things are good, pure, whatever things are of good report, But the first one in the list is think on whatever things are true. Because the rest doesn't matter if we're not capturing the thoughts that aren't true. So the thought for this morning is what are the stories you're telling yourself? What are the stories we're telling ourselves? And then more importantly, are they true? So I can, I can tell myself, nope, don't say 7 o'clock again. That's a thought that comes into my mind. 
But we can choose to not be like Eve where she says, I was convinced that the lie was true. Because of the work of Jesus Christ. Because he came here to defeat death, hell, and the grave. And he said that your enemy comes to steal from you, to kill you, to take you out and destroy you. But I have come that you might have life and have it to the full. We no longer have to live bound to the lies of the enemy. When he attacks our insecurities, yes, those are there. Yes, those bad things happen. Yes, those things hurt. But they're not truth. No, Nate, you don't have a college degree. No, you don't have a PhD. But you have my calling, son. And you have my purpose and you have my plan for your life. And I want you to go and speak just like he told Moses, who had a speech impediment. He wanted him to do the very thing that he was absolutely ill-equipped to do. Totally inefficient, insufficient to do. Totally insecure to do because he had to go back to the place where he was wounded the most. He knew who he was. He was a murderer in his hometown. And yet God called Moses to free a nation, to free his people, to be his voice, to bring about freedom, which came from the truth. Yeah, yeah Moses, I... I know your excuses, I know your stuff, I, I know what you don't think you have and all that, but I am. I am what? No, I am whatever you need. No, I am. Just, just I am. He said, tell them, I am sent you to do my work. That's all you need. This morning, there's not a ton of practical, like, teaching here. Okay, what do I do? I get it, Pastor Nate. My mind's really, really important. I'm not supposed to have all these insecurities, all this stuff. Come back next week. You'll get all the practical stuff. But for this morning, but for this morning, I think it's enough. I think it's enough for us to be aware. What are the stories I'm telling myself? What are they? What's the story we're telling in our marriage? What's the story we're telling in our purpose and the value that God wants to bring through us to the world? What are the stories that we're telling about who we are? What are the stories we're telling ourselves? And asking, are, are they true? Are they true? Because when we can get a hold of the truth and we can begin to walk in truth... That's where we find freedom. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for this moment. Thank you for this opportunity that we're going to have in a moment to receive communion. To come and recognize the moment when you took your last breath so that you could raise to life three days later and you could live through us and you could cover our weaknesses and you could cover our insecurities and you could work through our insufficiencies and to show us that we are not alone in this world. We are not in the isolation game anymore. You are with us. We thank you. 
for your sacrifice. We thank you for your love that covers us. So I pray that in the next few moments we would find a way to respond to you and not the words of a person, but your words and your challenge in our heart and your stirring in our heart. In Jesus' name, amen.